Alright, open up your Bibles to Jude. And last we were here, if you're following in the outlines, we were still looking at the outline entitled Spots and Your Feasts of Charity. And we're on that final point, I believe. We're going to read verses 12 through 16 to, to get started here, but let me... So many pages. Yes, we're looking at war, uh, the warning by Enoch. Uh, Jude, verses 12 through 16... Reads as follows: These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit wither, withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And what we're going to look at here in just a moment is as follows. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands, ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we return to the book of Jude, we ask that you remove all distractions, remove all the clutter from the corners of our minds, Father, that we might pay attention to the word that is delivered before us. Not that I would receive any accolades, Father. My request is that I decrease and you increase only, that we would be edified here today, that we'd be strengthened and encouraged by your word. We ask, Father, that you make these things most clear. Give us application of what we read here today. Be with the messages and the food and the meeting after, Lord, and be with all these things, and we trust them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It is an interesting thing that Jude writes. Enoch prophesied of these things, and what did he prophesy? He prophesied that the Lord cometh, that he cometh with ten thousands of his saints and think of who enoch was there likely wouldn't have been ten thousands worth of people for him to even consider this to to make it up to think of it of his own but there's a purpose here not only does he accurately prophesy of what's coming but the purpose is laid out he comes to tell everybody they did a great job to tell everybody they did good enough to tell everybody that all will go to the kingdom to Clean out the halls of purgatory and bring everybody into the kingdom of heaven. No. He is coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. This ties in pretty well with Romans 3 that Steve just read. The final two verses that we're considering here, verse 14 and 15, give proof that these ungodlies were doomed from the beginning, for the Lord did not appoint for them to be saved from His wrath. And I know that Baptists, being Baptists, like to make arguments of things, so some will say, well, they were elect unto a reprobate mind, elect unto heaven. And some will say, that's not our God. I'm not interested in these battles. I'm reading to you what God's Word has to say. If you choose to pick sides and fight with the Baptists, I promise you there's plenty out there looking for a fight. But that's not of our interest here today. He literally points out that, that there are those ungodlies that will be convinced of their ungodly deeds. And we've laid out in the previous verses 
the fruit, or rather the lack thereof of their fruit, that proved them to be so. The heart of Enoch's preaching, according to Jude, was of the Lord's second coming. Remember that Enoch was, misspelled in my outline, Enoch was the one translated. He's the one who walked with God in Genesis 5, verse 22. Hebrews 11.5, we see Enoch again there. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. Listen, folks, this was the testimony of a man who walked with God and kept on walking. His testimony was that he pleased God. How might we today in 2023 please God? To be faithful unto him. Faithful unto the reading of His Word. Faithful unto the exercising of what His Word calls for us to do. Faithful unto the conviction that He has given us. Faithful unto our wives. Faithful unto our husbands. Faithful in training up our children in the way that they should go. We're called to be faithful in all things, are we not? Does does Colossians 3 not tell us to do all things as if unto the Lord? Does Corinthians, when Paul writes to that church, does he not tell them to come out from among them and be separate? Are we not encouraged by Paul in other places to be zealous, to be fervent, to be weirdos, in other words, for Christ's sake? Does it not say in Romans that our minds should be transformed? Are we not encouraged to seek friendliness with God rather than friendliness with the world because friendliness with the world is enmity? With God? Enoch, near the beginning of history, was prophesying their doom. You know, it's it's kind of ironic that in 2023 we imagine those uh, that appear to be homeless on the streets of New York holding up a sign saying, Judgment is coming. And it's been interpreted in a lot of movies, probably so that we would stereotype it in such a manner. But here's one at the beginning. At the beginning. Seven generations removed, I believe we just read in the text, who is saying the end was coming. Who is saying that the wickedness of man would not be tolerated by a God who was just as righteous then, which is to say absolutely, as he is now. Still absolutely righteous. Still absolutely sovereign. Still absolutely holy. The end of ungodliness in this life, as we reference near the beginning of our Genesis study, Behold, the Lord cometh, he saith. He cometh to convict and make clear your trespasses before him, Enoch proclaimed. Notice now why we have been referring to them as ungodlies in this message. For first of all, they are not of God in any way. They do not act as he who we refer to as our Heavenly Father. They act rather as their father, the devil himself. Secondly, Jude uses the term four times in verse 15 alone, this term ungodly or ungodlies, which Strong's defines, or uh, uh, he says it comes from the word asebes or asebes, which can also be translated simply wicked. Not just ungodly, but wicked. These ungodlies are without God, by definition of the word, they're without God. They have no fear or reverence of him. And they have absolutely no faith in Him. We cannot expect that they're going to play fair or expect that they're going to uh, resist to a certain point and then give in to what the Bible has to say. If they're not of God, there is nothing in them that will ever receive God 
because they've not been called of God. They do not have a heart of feeling. Romans 1, verses 18 through 19, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest, manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Enoch preached that God would convince or provide clear proof to all men of their own condemnation. All of their wicked deeds would be called into judgment. Consider what we read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. The Lord speaking here, he says, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. There's, there's not an in-between. There's not a bad tree that provides good fruit. There's not a good tree, a truly good tree in this metaphor that will provide bad fruit. He goes on, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What words are you thinking of right now, beloved? Your own words. Do they reveal justification or condemnation? I'm not talking about the words you'll use with one another here in this place. The words you might use under your breath in traffic. The words you might use of maybe your brethren, maybe your pastor on the way home. What words do you harbor? Because it's all revealed to the Lord. All manifest before Him. James 2.12 So speak ye and so do. So, that, so they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. We need to identify these spots and mark them as Paul instructed those in Rome. In Romans 16, verses 17 through 20, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Remember, we're talking about a, a feast of charity. We're literally talking about a meal here. Something that they were gathered unto to honor God. It says, avoid these. They concern themselves only with their own belly. And by good works and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, if you have your outlines uh, with you. We're going to go to the next one. And we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Uh, I'm very, very thankful for Steve's patience as I've, I've taken so long on this study. I, I love the book of Jude. Uh, believe it or not, these six months or so that it's taken for us to get through this is a record for me because Jude, I think the last time I did it was uh, almost two years. Uh, but as we look at verses 17 and 19, we read the following. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they would, or how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, 
sensual or self-centered in an animalistic type manner, having not the Spirit. Let's first consider what Peter, one of those aforementioned apostles, had to say so that we can really begin to see the truth here and write it into our memory. And you've probably already seen in this study, Jude lines up very well with a lot of Peter's writings, which is why we continue to bounce back and forth between 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Uh, today will be no different. If you'll consider with me 2 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses there, we read Peter writing this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. What a precious word. Remembrance. This is actually, uh, uh, Jim didn't assign topics in Olmstead, but this is an unintentional theme of that meeting was remembrance. The book of Deuteronomy itself is a book of remembrance. There's a lot of books that continue in the Bible itself to remind us or to point back to something. What are we supposed to do with Lot's wife? It's only three words in that verse. Remember Lot's wife. What do we do the Lord's Supper for? Do this in remembrance of me. A lot of things for us today that point back to what had already been laid out, what had already been accomplished or finished in Christ Jesus. And he says, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his king? For since the father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they will willingly for, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of the waters and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Which speaks of judgment. Perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. A lot of things here to unpack. One thing I want to point out first and foremost is that the heavens and the earth. The Lord is not held hostage by the expiration date of His creation. He's in full control. He created all these things to last the exact amount of time He had required them to. He's not waiting for us to destroy the earth so that He can come back and, uh, and judge as we've seen so far. It just simply has not been the day of His returning yet. This day is coming. But there's literally nothing that it's waiting on except for the fact that it has to happen when He said it would happen. There's no sequence of things that we can figure out. There's no gauge of things or, 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 as I said, an expiration of things that he had called into existence that will point to, okay, this is it. This is the last loaf of bread, the last ounce of fresh oxygen, the last amount of clean water, the last uh, hot day, the last cold day. Whatever man has used to try and gauge such things is completely false. The Word of God is the only true source of revealing of God that there is. And there are certain things that this book does not reveal. Because we don't need to know. We are called to work, wait, and watch. And beloved, I don't know about you, I work and wait a lot less at 4.59 on Friday. And I do a whole lot more watching because I'm anticipating the end of my work week. Anticipate His arrival. 
anticipate his coming, but work and wait and watch for the day. Now, we've got a lot that Jude has given us in these last few verses, and and it's going to continue that way as we get to the end of the book. He's pointed at threats inside the church. He's pointed at threats outside the church. He's pointed at deception. He's pointed at remembrance. And remember, all of these things fall back to verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful. It was needful for me to write these things that I have here in this letter and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We don't live in the days we live in because the generation before us did not earnestly contend for such things. We are simply called to earnestly contend as well. We are told in Scripture it will wax worse and worse and worse and worse as the days dwindle towards His second coming. They're not as bad as they are because men didn't earnestly contend. So stop using it as your reason to not earnestly contend as much as you should. This is an admonition to me as well as to you. Us living in the final days is not an excuse to do less. Being called in the eleventh hour unto the field, the expectation is that we would still work for that hour. And if this is indeed the last hour, we will soon rejoice. When Isaac and I used to run, one thing we used to remind each other when we got to the end is to run through the tape. And we were never fast enough that the tape was still intact when we got there. But run through the finish line. Run the race to win. Running the race to lose is that slow down before you get to the finish line. Like, I can see it. That's close enough. Run through, beloved. What if this is the last day? Run through. If indeed you knew this was the last day, would you not give the gospel to all? Would you not have but one conversation on your lips this day? That being the gospel and our only true salvation and hope being Christ Jesus? I hope your answer is yes. So act like this is the last day. Run through it. It really answers every hope and dream and wish of every Baptist, does it not? We'd like to see the church grow. We'd like to see folks come in. We'd like to see revival. We'd like to see people hungry for our Lord again. Then only talk about Christ Jesus. Then you be of no reputation and give the gospel. Like this is the last day you will ever have to give the gospel. The rich man who opened up his eyes in hell and torment had two desires. A drop of tongue from the uh, drop of water on his tongue from the dirty old beggar. Think about that. We'll get into that in a moment. And that this dead man, this Lazarus, be risen again and sent to his father's house to give the gospel because they would believe if a dead man returned. What is the gospel, beloved? If not a dead man returning. A dead man conquering. That which we have anchored him with. Our very sin. And on his heart, in death, in torment, which started right away, was that the gospel must be preached. Beloved, that ought to be our hearts right now. If we are to earnestly contend for the faith, we are preaching the gospel. And it is not the job of just these men who teach, or this man who is your pastor. It is every one in this room, every born-again believer's responsibility. Because they might hear me, but they will believe you. 
You are walking side by side with those who will relate to you and may never ever meet me. They will relate to you, but maybe never have the actual word of God before them. Or maybe they'll just keep pushing it away until someone who knows their experiences, who knows what they have gone through, who knows their life, who knows their heart, comes alongside them and says, I know of a hope. Brother Hilly's been looking for that local ministry outreach. And the first time that we were there, uh, Cassie tried to volunteer Tate and I to, to do the chapel at the hospital because they didn't have any ministers that Sunday. The hospital, in one of the, in my opinion, most overpopulated states in the entire U.S., did not have a minister willing to do chapel that Wednesday night. This could be Nate's ministry. Nate, as he, he met us at the door when we got there, Cassie was pushing him in the wheelchair. It just blew me away. Because remember, last time I had seen him, he was out. He was sedated. And as we walked back to his room through the overcomplicated halls of this hospital, as they all are, he knew every doctor. He knew every nurse by name. Not just because he'd seen them, but because he had talked to them. There's going to come a day in therapy where he's going to meet another amputee. And only Nate will know how to give him hope. Now hear me now, I know the gospel. I can give the gospel and should give the gospel to everyone. But Nate now has a way in which he can reach someone who's going to look at somebody like me and say, you don't know what I've been through. But Nate does. You who have, uh, as this is Mother's Day, you who are mothers, you who have suffered miscarriages, you who have struggled to have babies... Understand there is someone with the gospel that knows how to speak your language. There is someone that God has put in your path that does know hope. That does know the Lord Jesus Christ and can point him out to you where you are. We have scriptural proof. Philip and the eunuch. The Holy Spirit used him mightily. Took him right to where the man was. As he... Uh, seemingly as he approaches, he hears the eunuch reading scripture. And as he gets involved in the conversation, he preaches unto him, Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're born again, you are Philip. That is your mission to point out, to teach and preach the Lord Jesus Christ to all who will listen. The kingdom of heaven is drawn nigh unto thee. As we read in our last Sunday afternoon study, that was the message they were to give to those who received them and those that rejected them. The kingdom of heaven. If you're born again, you are now an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. An ambassador of Christ Jesus himself. Making the presentation that the kingdom of heaven has drawn nigh or come nigh or is at hand. Because you have the gospel. What does the gospel do if not exactly what we see in these last few verses? Reveal to man their need for deliverance. You're not responsible for whether they receive the word. You are responsible for whether or not you give it. What does Jude address here at the beginning in verse 4? There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Again, there will be those who want to argue about what that means. But he calls them ungodly men, turning the grace of our God unto lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Something I want to point out. To you here today. 
those who know to do good and do not, that is sinful. Those who know the grace of God but do not share it, be, be aware of what you're doing. You are holding back salvation. You're holding back hope. You have an opportunity to glorify God and you are showing unholy restraint in keeping it to yourself. You're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And I'm not telling you today that that makes you reprobate. I'm telling you that that's not earnestly contending for the faith. I'm telling you that that's an irresponsible way to handle the treasure which has been given forth as a gift unto you. You have a responsibility to give that gospel unto the world. Consider the Apostle Paul's words to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20. Remember, these are uh, beloved folk that he... Uh, that he cherished, that he loved greatly, but he loved more serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord had made it clear that his days with the Ephesians were coming to a close. That his ministry was about to continue in another direction. He wasn't departing from the faith, departing from God. But his ministry, being a missionary as he was, was going to continue him down the road. And he says here in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul says, that after my departing shall grieving wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. This is how grieving grievous wolves work. They don't spare the flock. They take first the weak. Those who weren't looking for the wolf. And they gobble them up. The silly sheeps that, you know, sheeps. The silly sheep that stray out alone. That aren't in the herd. The wolves take them over real quick. We talked last time, is there something more dreadful than a sheep left to the wolves as those 70 that the Lord sent out? And we said, yes, indeed. Those sheep that are completely alone with no shepherd, they will find a way to perish. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things of your own selves. Here's the inside dangers once more. He says to the Ephesians, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember. There it is again. That by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. And to them that were with me, I have showed you all things. How that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. To Timothy, Paul wrote, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. He then spent the remainder of 2 Timothy chapter 3 reminding Timothy of the faith that he had found in the scriptures. Listen to verses 14 through 17. Continue thou, excuse me, continue thou, like 15 again. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 
and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He's reminding him that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and all scripture is given to be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And I must hurry, so if I leave you somewhere, stay with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Those are John's words, not mine. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or, or that denieth that he is Christ or Messiah? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledged, acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning, remember If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise, that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Remember again verse 3 of Jude, which is the reason he's writing, and I won't read it again, but verse 3 and 4, remember that earnest contention. Jude was warning And it is a warning for us today of what has come upon the Lord's creation and what will grow continually worse and worse until that final judgment that Peter referenced. And we will have to stop there for time's sake, but we'll jump back into this outline uh, next time.